you know, she didn't, she didn't run away when I went nuts. She stuck around and she saved my life. And I didn't run away when her body broke and she could not get out of bed barely for three years, right? And couldn't walk around the block. And that means that we freaking know we're with the right person. We know that that person is not gonna cut and run. And that to me, you know, you can't buy that. You can't get that anywhere, any other way except for having somebody go through it. So I do think that like whatever you go through, and again, I'm not bitching and moaning about my life. My life is great, but I've dealt with a fair number of tough stuff, right? Your life is great, but you've dealt with a fair number of fair stuff, tough stuff. I know people that have been through far worse things than me, but I've been through child abuse and almost killed myself and blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. But there are compensations. Welcome back to the Onyx Singal Show. Today, we're talking about mental health. I know, it's gonna be, this episode's gonna hit. So I'm gonna throw some disclaimers out ahead of time. Um, we're gonna get pretty deep and we're gonna talk about things that are gonna be bothering and troublesome, but it's good, it needs to be talked about. And I'm telling you right now, heck, I might get personal because I've dealt with some of this stuff. Entrepreneurship or even just aggressive professional development. If you are an ambitious person trying to achieve a lot, you're going to have mental health issues. I really firmly believe this. Some will have it more, some will have it less, but you're going to have it. And society, in many ways, shuns us from talking about it. Um, you know, we're supposed to hustle day and night, love every minute of it, be in bliss, and you know, fulfilled with gratitude and nothing other than that. And you know what? I loved the interview that we had with Dr. Alok some time ago where he actually spoke about how much BS that is and how we actually, he, he said positivity was what is killing, uh, is creating depression. I'm like, what the f and we're gonna talk a little bit more about that today. So we're gonna get real. The guest we have today uh, is a good friend of mine, someone I've known for years and respected his work. He is brilliant at his trade. His name is Chris Haddad. He is one of the best copywriters in the world. If you're asking what is that, means he knows how to write words that will convince and sell you. And um, anyone who knows him, anyone who knows him in the industry knows that he went through quite a period of mental health and mental illness. And my experience with him, ironically, was meeting him right at the peak of those issues. And so I have interesting memories of him. Chris is awesome. So he's very open to talking about all of it. We're going to talk about what it's like, what he experienced, how he recovered. And then we're going to talk a little bit about real talk that if you are out there trying to achieve a lot of success, look, there's feelings of loneliness. There's feelings of... Um, you know, what do they call imposter syndrome? There's feelings of not being enough. There's jealousy, envy, anger, frustration. There's a lot of stuff. There's good stuff too, but there's the bad. Today we're gonna talk about the bad. We're gonna talk about how to deal with all of that. And the fact that it's perfectly normal if you're feeling it, but it needs to be addressed and not something that you can let run loose. So, all right, now that I've like, thoroughly depressed everybody from this about this episode let's have some fun um and let's talk so chris thanks for being on the show man absolutely happy to be here man but i thought we were only supposed to talk about crushing it all the time isn't that the entrepreneurial thing like you go on facebook and you show pictures of cars you don't actually own and houses you don't actually own and then you talk about how you're crushing it constantly and nothing is ever a problem and everyone's rich and business is easy that's how we do it isn't that the way that we're supposed to do these yeah, things yeah hustle hustle hire you know travel first class you know work three hours a day um yeah some do it, sure. I, I was I read a uh, I read a post this morning. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get too specific because I don't want to give it away. Um, but I, <laughs> I read a post from someone that was like very like they they've been recently posting a lot about how they've completely stepped away from their business right, sure. and and all this jazz. And I'm like I, I've seen this show. I know where this is going. And they're still in the first early stages of it. And I'm like, this thing is going to tank in like three months. Like this honeymoon of yours is going to not last. Um, but I'll let them kind of figure that part out for themselves. But listen, Chris, when, when um, here, here's the background. I've told you this story before. So I knew of Chris as a brilliant copywriter. I love his work. He is a great copywriter. And um, I tend to believe you know, copywriting is kind of my trade too. I love copywriting. I've studied it and I tend to know who the best are and I study their work. 
And so I had a lot of respect for Chris. I was like really excited to meet him. I went to this mastermind. This is years ago. It was in Vancouver and I flew quite a distance. And I'm telling you, one of the top like three or four names on that list was like, I was like, I'm going to hang out with Chris, right? Now, here's what's funny. So Chris, you don't know this part. Most copywriters are pretty eccentric. Great copywriters, eh, a little weird, okay? And so that's kind of like understood in the industry. If you meet, if, if you if there's a really good copywriter, they tend to be very introverted and a little quirky and it, it's weird. You look at them and you're like, I wouldn't think you're a copywriter, but damn, you're a good copywriter. Um, so, you know, I didn't know what I was getting into. I was like, I can't wait to meet Chris. I'll hang out with him or whatever. And I remember I'm at the event. I'm sitting down. It's about to start and like 20 minutes into it. Chris walks in through the door. And let me just say, like, there's people that walk in through the door that are like, yo, mofos, I'm here. Like, I am making an entrance. And that was Chris. He walked in, and I literally looked at him. And I remember first laughing because I was like, oh, this guy is a trip. Like, he was on a 12 on a 10 energy. He was just bouncing off walls. And then as the day kept going, I was like, I, I don't know if I want to sit down. <laughs> Chris is kind of crazy. Like, I don't know if I want to sit down with him. He was... He's just kind of all over the place, ball like ball of energy, and and I remember thinking, I'm like, man, I think all copywriters are a little crazy. Like this is this is nuts. Now, of course, I had no idea, right, what was really going on, and um, in the future later on, Chris came out on Facebook and posted about some of his challenges, and I was like, oh my god, I get it. We've since reconnected. It's been an amazing relationship so far, you know, but the fact alone that you're willing to come on and talk about this has been, has, has been tremendous. So, so Chris, I mean, talk to me about, first, I want to ask a little bit about how you fell into this specific trade of copywriting, right? Like it's a weird world. What does one do to fall into that? How did you get into it? And then maybe just take it away, dude. Tell us a journey of- We'll go from there. I'll tell you a bit of the story. You jump in and we'll, we'll figure it out. So uh, the short version of how I got into copywriting was- when I was younger, I had horrifyingly low self-esteem. I was morbidly depressed without knowing it for a long time. It turns out I had undiagnosed bipolar 2 for 39 years, which uh, for those of you who are listening who have dealt with depression, who have dealt with bipolar and things like that, it's a, it's an absolute living hell. And partly because of that, I ended up getting fired from every job I ever had. Uh, down in LA, other places, I could not keep a gig for more than a year, got fired from everything. My last real world job, I was getting paid 24 grand a year to write greeting cards for a living. And I got laid off from that and just broke down. I think I was 25, 26 at the time. I had been making $24,000 a year doing this. Couldn't do it. Got fired from the whole thing. Broke down. Didn't know what to do. And the short version is I kind of stumbled into the idea of this whole copywriting thing. And I spent about three years doing like corporate copywriting, writing for banks and shit like that, wasting my time, not making any money. And then I kind of stumbled into the direct response thing when I was, I think, 28 or so. I went to this event that Harlan Kilstein was running in Vegas called value-based copywriting about how to get paid more as a copywriter. And that was the start of it. I mean, from there, I made a hundred grand my first six months, which was a massive, massive change for me. And then uh, all of a sudden I had this career and all of a sudden people were telling me I was good at things. And all of a sudden my devastatingly low self-esteem and ego was just like sopping up all of this kind of like crazy admiration from people and telling me I was a genius and all that stuff. And anybody who knows uh, how bipolar works is that it makes you narcissistic. And so unfortunately, when you have bipolar and people are telling you you're a genius all the time and telling you your copy is amazing. All it does is feed that narcissism. And so at the height of kind of how those things were going, when I first started off doing the Michael Fury stuff, which maybe we'll talk about or not, my ego was the size of a house. And I was basically hypomanic when all this stuff, and the the really short version, so we can go into more of it, because I've told this story in, in detail before, is that basically I got up to the point that I was making a couple million dollars a year doing my relationship advice stuff, having a great time doing that. Behind the scenes, I was in a horrible marriage. I had Lyme disease, which was destroying me. I was depressed. I was angry. I could barely get out of bed. And then at a certain point, my brain broke, basically. And I turned into a much more frenetic and weirdly timid version of myself. Like the version of me that you met all those years ago in Vancouver was me turned up to 12 or 13 or something like that, bouncing off the walls. I had all this paranoia that you hated me. I had paranoia that uh, Perry Belcher hated me. I had paranoia that all sorts of people just were not fans of me at all. Oh, I think I know. Oh, there you go. I thought you were frozen for a second. No, I was just listening. I, I, I was laughing because you said you became this like timid, quiet self. So, um, when you when you so we well, so, never quiet just timid it's a different yeah. <laughs> so chris so uh october we did this event october 2022 so recently we did this event at the learn center called the expert summit and um i'm, I'm 
Thank you. Thank you. So we're, we're, I, I'm, I see all the apps coming. I'll get pinged. And, um, yeah. I saw Chris is coming and I, and I, and I really, I, I hadn't talked to Chris much since yeah. that point. We had connected a little bit, seen some of his stuff on Facebook. Stuff on Facebook. Um, we chatted and, um, back and, and I, forth a little bit. Yeah. Just a little, but nothing like nothing crazy. And I see his app come in and I remember telling my team, I was like, Oh, this could be interesting. I was, <laughs> I was like, if, if Vancouver Chris comes to this event, He's going to be hanging off of the ceilings. And so, so what was so crazy, of course I was going to have him come. I'm a big fan. I was like, he's going to add so much value to the room. But I remember, man, when you walked in through the room, I, I saw you walk into the lobby. It's a different person. Yeah, I mean, different energy. Different person completely. And so it was, that was where I was like, gosh, we got to, wow. Like, you know, this stuff is just so real. You, 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 you said something that, um, I don't know, hit uh brain broke yeah that is a strong sentence and i gotta tell you man i've had moments in my it's quite life. an experience to go through by the way well let's talk about that because i feel like a lot of entrepreneurs are on the i, th I feel like a lot of entrepreneurs are on the verge of it i have felt at times that i got dangerously close to this what does that mean what does it feel like to have a brain break i went fully into delusion for me, that's what that's what happened there. So I, I had always lived in my, you know, it's so funny because I, I people who know me for a long time say the same thing that you've said, which is my energy is completely different. Um, people would talk about how I was kind of aloof or very in my head. There was always seventy five thousand kind of thoughts going on at a time. Ideas would be constantly assaulting me, and I had no serotonin basically. So I was just like miserably, horrifyingly depressed all the time. But when my brain broke, I think it was because I was going through my divorce from my ex-wife. And the stress of that, I think, is what really pushed me finally just completely over the freaking edge. And I just, how do I even describe it? I just, rationality went out the window. My ability to emotionally regulate went out the window. If you and I had been chatting and you said something over Messenger that could be interpreted in any way, in a negative way, I would be like spiraling saying like, hey, Anik hates my guts. I would flirt with people I shouldn't flirt with. I would make really dumb business decisions that cost me a lot of money. I would wear tights as pants for like four years straight. And I'm like, man, people do not need to see my penis that much. Uh, basically, I just... I, I, remember the yeah. I do remember the tights. Yeah, yeah, they're pretty great. Yeah. Okay. I got to tell you, though, that taught me a lot, though. When you wear tights and you're willing to be a guy who just wears tights, you'll be amazed how happy people are to see you. People do not. This is the biggest thing I learned from all of that, from losing my freaking mind and turning into this way over the top version of myself. I'm pretty over the top anyway, but more over the top is that if you just take that and own it and are unashamed of being yourself, people will not make fun of you. They will come up to you and ask you how you do that and how they can do the same thing. So that was a valuable lesson. That is. And I, and I believe that. So <clears throat> that sounds, that sounds horrible. I'm being honest. Like, I don't think, I don't think anyone should break their brains. Um, there was a lot of crying. There was a lot of screaming. There was a lot of fights with my wife. There was a lot of um, getting into huge blowups with friends and having friends tell me they couldn't be my friend anymore because I had sent them thousands of words of horrible things. Like uh, when you, when you go into hypomania, you can kind of become kind of a monster, basically. You I always say I'm basically the supervillain version of myself when I'm hypomanic because I have no empathy. Ah, it kind of sounds like a nervous breakdown times ten. It's like, it really you know, I, and I and I have experienced nervous breakdown. Um, yeah. You know, I've had some tough times, and so I've had those. And I feel to me, it feels like an uncontrolled nervous breakdown can become what you've called a broken brain. Yeah. And so that was one of my next questions was, we have a lot of people listening. And I, and I mean this from the heart, guys. I'm not trying to like fear monger or scare anyone. Being an entrepreneur is just hard and it is tough. And it, it, it is, it, it just never ends. The mental challenge, like I love it when people see me and they're like, you're so lucky you're an entrepreneur. I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, you just, you know, some days I really just wish at 5.15 when I walk out of the office, I'm <laughs> just done, right? That's never, but I was going to ask you, People listening right now, I know, and I know people listening right now are looking both ways. They're like, oh my God, am I on the verge of a brain break? Like, what are some warning signs that you feel like that you think back? You're like, okay, I should have like, boom, this would have been like a point for me to make a drastic change. 
I mean, it's a little different for me because it wasn't necessarily the business things that pushed me over the edge, right? Yeah. So like yeah. my business was going really well, but it, maybe you've seen this too. The times that my business has done the best, my personal life has been horrible. And the times my personal life has been great, my business has typically not been that, been, been that great. But for me, it was mostly just, I would just get into these massive conflicts with people all the time because of the bipolar stuff. Somebody, I live next to a pizza place. And so somebody would park in front of my driveway and I would go out and just scream at them in the street and I'd be happy about it. Right. I'd be like, literally I would end up just like smoking weed all day to keep my brain from getting me to commit suicide. And I would just curl into a little ball and be sad all the time. I wouldn't go see friends. I basically, it was just this massive degradation of my brain. I lost, I think at least 20 or 30 IQ points for a while there. Uh, and then I stopped being funny and that was the worst part of everything for me my my ex would hit, tell me so, that basically and, and everyone watching i mean some of this is also chemical too so i want to make sure everyone well, people yeah the thing too yeah. in our business there are people sometimes who have come to me and be like well chris you shouldn't take those meds because blah 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 and i say you are crazy right like i i firmly believe there are some things you know adhd meds may be over prescribed things like that but at the end of the day the medication saved my life Right. I literally would not be here. I would have killed myself otherwise. So I always tell people, like, if you need the meds, the meds are, are there for you. They're yeah. very important. So, so I do want to kind of draw that difference too. So everyone, like you, you could be in a tough mental state doesn't mean that you're gonna experience everything Chris experienced. His was definitely accelerated due to an actual missing diagnosis of bipolar two. Um yeah, which which is which is crazy. And and so let's talk about that. You said like the business didn't really trigger it. I'm fascinated by the fact that you were going through a lot of this stuff and still making two million a year. Like Well, I was like, making two million all I mean, I was making two million a year for a while of that. Let me see. I, I have a speech I give. When I saw you in Vancouver, like that that yeah, yeah, I was still making a lot of fuck. God, man, like it's it's crazy because it rips people of their excuses because you were not in your prime. You were in a weird place and still talk to me about that making money that kind of money while you're not necessarily stable mentally well so i, I give a speech called if i wasn't rich i'd be dead that's on my facebook and whatever else i gave it a copy accelerator and the point of that speech i go through a lot of my personal experiences with uh, my dad dying and with the time hillary swank almost hit me with a frying pan and a bunch of other funny stories from my life and things like that but the point of that speech is that if i had not switched from being a freelance copywriter to being an offer owner when i did i'd probably be dead right now flat out because there would have been no way in hell i would have been able to afford to get the treatment i needed for my lyme disease which cost me over 100 grand to basically barely work for like six or seven or eight years while i was going through all this stuff and the only reason i was able to do that was because i learned how to delegate and i learned how to bring people in who were able to take my creative output because I was still I did a ton of creative output for a while there and did a ton of offers and kind of keep things going during that. I got so incredibly lucky for the last. I mean, well, I got diagnosed bipolar two in thir uh, six years ago when I was thirty nine, right? And it took me five of those years to get back on my feet enough to be able to work, to be able to go to, you know, board of experts mastermind, to be able to do my podcast and do the launch of my pig method program and everything like that. It took five freaking years of work every single horrifying day to kind of rebuild myself from uh from scratch and i would never have been able to do that if i didn't have money coming in and so I, you know I, I didn't i haven't made two million a year for a few years now but i've made half a million a year i've made close to a million a year without having to work 40 hours a week and i am grateful for that every single day because if i had a real job i there's no way i would have been able to do this chris what kept you going so you get so low you just said took you five years to march back so many people quit i mean you went to the trenches of trenches you were at the lowest of lows you were at the place where you said literally you lost 20 to 30 iq points and i was going to kill myself i was going to kill myself now and this is not me being dramatic or anything like that i was probably three months away from trying to drive a dagger into my chest basically yeah wow so I, that's just intense man i mean that's like and i believe you that's the thing i mean i i believe you i i genuinely believe you so what stopped you? How, yeah, like how? What? What made? What made you a at that moment take that last turn? Right? Because the analogy I use is a plane is dropping, and you hear that sound like five thousand feet. Pull up, pull up, three thousand. I feel like you hit five hundred feet. Right? Last second, you you level up. So what was the thing that made you pull up at five hundred feet? And then what kept you? Pulling? My wife Angie Lowell did. My wife saved my life, and the way she did it was this: we. I turned into a fucking maniac, like flat out a maniac. I was not being a good husband to her. I had no empathy. She had several friends of hers telling her to leave. 
And if I were a friend of hers during that time, I would have told her to leave too. So I've, I've never resented that in any way. When I was in the depths of my mental illness and I was crying all the time and, and et cetera, I told Angie, hey, if we don't manage to fix this, you need to freaking run basically, because I didn't want to uh, put her through what I knew I was putting her through. At one point, her and I had a huge fight. And we have a thing in our marriage where if we have a fight, any either one of us can say time out. And then you go away for 20 minutes and you don't talk for 20 minutes. Then you come back and you kind of talk later. And so I went down to the basement and she went upstairs. And in the basement, I was staring at the ceiling and I was thinking about things. And my brain was very chaotic. But I was like, you know what? I've had these big fights with every partner of mine in the past. And I could always tell myself that that partner was a crazy bitch or this was whatever else, but I know Angie's not. And I was like, if Angie is telling me that something's wrong, cause she was trying to convince me something's wrong. And when you're in hypomania or mania or whatever, no matter how many times people tell you that you're the one who's having an issue, you do not believe them. You can't, it's everybody else is the problem, not you, which is insane to look at uh, afterwards, but it really does seem true at the time. But I went to Angie and I said to her, I, I didn't want to lose her. I, I you know, had a divorce a couple of years earlier and I certainly didn't want to lose Angie. And so I went to her and I said, honey, you're telling me that up is down, left is right, black is white, and the, the sky is plaid. You're telling me things that don't make any sense to me. But I'm looking out the window right now and I can see the sky is blue. It's not plaid, but you're telling me it's plaid and I love you and I don't want to lose you. So I'm willing to accept the idea that maybe you might possibly maybe be right right that something might be wrong and that right there that little kernel that little chink in the mental armor is what my psychiatrist tells me is what saved my life basically because most people who have bipolar or schizophrenia or anything like that they will never you know my my my, my psychiatrist when i went in and, and angie was like we think it's bipolar too my psychiatrist was like, well, if it was bipolar two, you wouldn't be here talking to me about this. People that are bipolar two just don't do that. So for whatever reason, I was able to do that. But that's what kind of opened the door to me slowly getting help and going to a new therapist and going on the meds and everything. And even then, it's interesting when you go on the meds because it's this constant, for a couple of years, it was this constant experience of waking up. It was this constant experience of like my brain stabilizing enough for me to be able to see how crazy things had been for a while. And over and over again, for like several years, I had this experience of every few months, I'd be like, oh, now I'm better. Now I get it. Now I'm actually better, but I wasn't. And then six months later, I'm like, oh, now I'm better, but I wasn't. And that kept going on that for ages and ages and ages and ages and ages. As for why I didn't give up, um, whole other thing, I've dealt with a fair number of difficult things in my life, as we all have, it might have been a lot of physical and, and mental health issues. And one of the big things that I talk about is I bounced off a semi truck when I was 26, my car flipped around all the way and I slammed into a concrete wall at about 60 miles an hour. And I twisted my spine like a, uh, like a, like a, like a balloon animal. And I've been dealing with that ever since I was essentially crippled for quite a few years. And then I slowly kind of have rebuilt myself. And to this day, I spend 10, 12 hours a day while I'm doing other things, trying to fix my back and fix my body. And it sucks. But the upside to that is I am one tenacious. Uh, sorry, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear or not, but I hope not. That's all good. But I don't give up, right? Like I just don't because, well, with the back injury thing, there's no, there's no choice. It was either keep going and fix this myself because I went to every doctor, every fucking therapist, every massage therapist, every acupuncturist, every whatever else, and nobody could help me. And so eventually I was like, okay, well, the only person that's going to help me is myself. And I've spent the last nine years doing tremendous amounts of yoga every day and doing the work and doing the work and doing the work. And so my psychology just got programmed to, I know how to handle pain. I can take it. I know I can take it. And so my default is I just put my head down and I keep going forward, which is not the healthiest thing for most people, but it's what got me through this. Besides that, the biggest thing is just having the financial resources to be able to coast for several years and give myself the chance to actually heal. If I had a real job, I would have been fired. There's no way they would have kind of kept me on. And just having people around me who love me, who believe in me, who like I have three or four people in my life who I know that if they come to me and they say, Chris, we think you're having a, an episode or something's going wrong, I will believe them, right? Like I have people who I know who will check my reality for me sometimes because my reality does break occasionally and I get all these paranoid delusions and I get uh, just all sorts of crazy, crazy over the top kind of things. But having those people in your life who are willing to 
say that kind of thing to you without being judgmental is incredibly powerful. I mean, you're, you're a few years younger than me, but when I was growing up, we didn't talk about mental health, especially in wow. Massachusetts, you know, central Massachusetts. Like I remember at one point, one of our neighbors went to a psychiatrist and it was like a, a big rumor, crazy thing. Like, oh my God, Shay Donna went to a psychiatrist. What must that mean? What must be wrong? And I am so happy well, I have all, I'm actually happy I live in Seattle because it is a very, there's lots of negative things to say about the West Coast, say about Seattle as far as passive aggression and things like that go. But the level of emotional intelligence of the people I know in Seattle is tremendously high. And the people I know here do not judge anybody based on mental health things. It would be kind of strange to do. I think that's a really, really valuable thing. But I am so grateful to live in a time and an era in our country, in our world, where I can talk very openly about my depression and bipolar and whatever else. And nobody makes fun of me for it. Nobody judges me for it. Instead, what they do is they write me privately on Facebook and they say, thank you. And like, for me, I like making money. I like teaching. I like doing my, my products and things like that. But the thing that gives me the most pride in the world is going out and talking about this stuff publicly and having people, especially younger people, younger copywriters, younger marketers who deal with bipolar, schizophrenia, whatever, and don't think they can do it right? They're like, this thing is not going to let me do it. And they look at me and they're like, well, that guy got fucking rich while crazy. Maybe I can do it too. Right. Yeah. And that is, I think the biggest thing I feel like that, that is the thing that gives me the most pride in my life. That, and when, you know, the other thing that gives me pride in my life is when I get emails from affiliates from my Michael Fiore stuff who say, Hey, uh, promoting your offers pays my mortgage for me. Right. Like that is so much more valuable to me than an affiliate who makes a couple million bucks on things I do. Cause I love seeing real people, escape from just the brutality of what it's like to be a regular person with a regular income with a regular job these days so so much to unpack from what you just said right but going back to you know what got you through i i, I love the kernel that kernel of in your case the kernel of doubt in your own confidence of what's going on but let's think about this and let's relay it back to living our lives being entrepreneurs going through um yeah, I think this is even biblical, right? In in the Bible it says a mustard seed, faith of you know, faith the size of a mustard seed can move mountains. And so a lot of times people I I have been recently going through some challenges and I was recently in something and and somebody asked me they're like, "How are you still like excited, happy and just moving through all of this without a problem?" And what I told them was I said, "Cuz I still see hope." Like I still see the other side. I still see the potential. And albeit the window might be a little smaller, but I still see through it. And as long as I can still see through it. Um, this this happened with me. I don't I don't publicly talk a lot about this, but um, you know, over the last year, year and a half, I, I so I have a lot of health issues and I talk a lot about that all the time. One of the things that's been new with me that's kind of happened, which is weird, is I get these like these weird panic attacks sometimes. Oh yeah. Um and, and spe specifically the trigger can be claustrophobia. Now I've always been claustrophobic since I was a kid. Me too, kid. man. That is that is my biggest nightmare is like being trapped in like a tiny room and not being able to get out. hundred percent. And so, but now what's happened is it actually kind of, it, it's, 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 it's evolved a little bit over the last like a year, year and a half. And I was, I was actually at the hospital for something different. It was just part of my normal, you know, checking. I'm in a room and the nurse looks at me and she's like, you look uncomfortable. I was like, I am. She's like, what's going on? I was like, I'm claustrophobic. I'm having a claustrophobic kind of panic attack. And she looks around. It's like in a huge room. She's like, um, you're in like a massive room. And I'm like, yeah. I know, but I don't see a window. Yep. And she's like, what and she's you, like, a feeling you? of being trapped. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I don't see it outside at all. And I remember this, this was a really interesting moment in my mind afterwards. I thought about it. And, and, she, and I said, if I could just see even a small window, and I just like knew visually that there was an outside, I'll pacify immediately. And I remember thinking of that, I was like, man, the, just how symbolic that is to a lot of things we go through in our life. In your case, you needed, that was a small window, the kernel. It was like, you you saw- A tiny saw. piece, a tiny piece yeah. of hope is worth a lot. Yeah, exactly. So- Plus the tiniest piece of hope is worth a lot. Exactly. So if you're going through a tough time right now, which every entrepreneur, I don't care who you are, you'll go through a tough time. It's part of the process. Um, but you got to hang on to, and that's why- Right, like sometimes with entrepreneurs and sometimes with success in general, we get really hooty patootie. It's like, what's your why? I used to hate that question. I was like, shut up. My why is to like go succeed and kick some ass. What's your why? Well, 
you know what? For the last year now almost, I've been really serious about my health. I'm trying really hard to get myself heal up better. Why? Yeah, why? dude, you're you're almost 40. You got to do it now. Yeah. Well, I had a baby girl. My why is there. I want to see her grow up. I don't want to die in the next five to 10 years. And we are seeing friends. I am seeing people. We, we did. I'm seeing people I know. And uh, it's hitting home. Dave Woodward recently passed away. I've known Dave for... 16, 17 years, I couldn't, I mean, I was talking to his kids via text and when they announced to me that, that he had passed, I, I could not reply for three days because I had to process. So like life is becoming real, but the why for me was my daughter. I, that is an invaluable thing. I, I, I want to spend more time with her. So I'm taking better care of my health. But anyways, going back to the kernel that you mentioned, I really wanted to share with people. Then the next thing that you shared, which I really want to highlight was, um, I said your wife. You know, your wife got you through this. I think it's important for us to have, in my case, I'm surrounded by amazing people. I mean, for you to have your wife. And I want to talk about your wife because it's interesting because you went through a divorce, but then this magical wife popped up in the story. And, and there's like a piece in the middle there. But um, for me, like I just said, a big wake up call was my daughter. My wife has been amazing. But in your life, for anyone who's watching and thinking, it's like... All you need it doesn't need to be a, 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 a doesn't need to be a spouse. It doesn't it needs to be one person and, and it's like there's someone who we have someone, everyone has someone that can help you through it. You have to be willing to open up to them and you have to be willing to allow them to support you through it. Um so so some amazing takeaways from what you shared, Chris. And I, and I do appreciate you sharing so openly, and it gives me the opportunity to, you know, share things that are going on. And the reason I want to take time to share some of my mental health issues I've had with everybody is because you guys never see me talk about it. Everyone looks at Onyx smiling on the camera and says, God, he has a perfect life. Exactly. I do, honestly. You're so lucky, Onyx. You're so lucky. All of this is luck. You didn't do any work to earn this. Come on. No, but I I will say like, I I do wake up every morning, even in the worst of days in deep gratitude, because my worst day is better than 99% of the world's best day. And I get that. But that doesn't mean that it's harder. Um, I mean, it's easier. And I just want to. I think gratitude and luck are separate things, right? You can be like, I'm grateful for everything in my life, but I don't think I've been. I mean, I don't think I'm lucky because I have it. I think I worked my ass off to make this situation what it is. So let me ask you a question. Connecting back to an episode I recently did with Doctor Alok, which was fascinating. He talked about gratitude and he talked about the curse of positivity, which was which was so interesting. Are you, Chris, grateful for all the shit that you went through over the last so many years? Uh, yeah. Um, I have a phrase called the, be grateful for your tragedies. They make you who you are. Right. And they give you an opportunity. And I am grateful for, I always say there are compensations for things. Right. So am I grateful for them? Exactly. I don't know, but I do know that I learned something along the way. I got arrested at burning man once years ago. That sucked for a variety of reasons. I got arrested. I had to go to court. It cost me a lot of money, all these other kind of things. But man, I learned a lot, right? I certainly don't trust police the way I used to when I was just a, you know, pale ass white boy who thought that every the cops were on my side, right? I don't do that. Uh, my dad dying, that really, really sucked. He died when I was 19. But I am incredibly good at being empathetic for friends when they have somebody die or when they have somebody kind of near them. The Lyme disease stuff, f- sucked and still does every single day. But you know, when I'm writing copy about being tired, I sure as hell know how to write copy about being tired in a way that you can't otherwise. With the bipolar stuff, you know, that freaking sucks and still does to this day. But man, I got to experience human emotion on intensity that most people don't. I got to be overwhelmed by these things. And I know that that um, impacts my copy in some ways. I've had people, by the way, when I talk about this stuff, they've come to me and they go, you know, Chris, like, Without all that stuff you've been through, you probably wouldn't be the copywriter that you are. And I always go, that's fine. That's that's fine. I'd, I'd be not as good of a copywriter, but I wouldn't have gone through all these things. But I, but again, like I don't have a choice about whether this stuff happened or not. It did happen. So I am, I'm, I'm not grateful necessarily for the thing that happened, but I'm certainly grateful for the lessons that I learned along the way. My wife has been dealing with her own health issues for several years that have been really rough. And I got to tell you, and I'm sure you'd agree, dealing with my stuff is easy. Dealing with her stuff is horrible. It's freaking horrible. I'll take it. I'll take it. You just put more on my back. I have no problem with that whatsoever. I'll take a whole other thing. But watching her go through that has been really, really, really tough. But also, you know, she didn't she didn't run away when I went nuts. She stuck around and she saved my life. And I didn't run away when her body broke and she could not get out of bed barely for three years, right? And couldn't walk around the block. And that means that we freaking know we're with the right person. We know that that person is not going to cut and run. And that to me, 
you know, you can't buy that. You can't get that anywhere, any other way, except for having somebody go through it. So I do think that like whatever you go through, and again, I'm not bitching and moaning about my life. My life is great, but I've dealt with a fair number of tough stuff, right? Your life is great, but you've dealt with a fair number of fair stuff, tough stuff. I know people that have been through far worse things than me, but I've been through child abuse and almost killed myself and blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. But there are compensations. If not, it might not be worth it per se, but whether it's worth it or not, it already happened. So you might as well take the lessons that you learned along the way and try to, and honestly, like here's the, you know, the key to happiness. Here's a great thing that we, we, we humans have known the, the secret to happiness for like millennia. Do you know what it is, Anik? I bet you oh, do. Fascinated. Tell me. Tell me. You do know what it is, but you don't know that you know what it is. Here's what it is. Here's what science has shown us is the key to happiness. Worry about other people more than you worry about yourself. Right? Try wow. to help other try to help other people more than you worry about your own shit. That's the key to happiness. That is what will actually make you happy in your life right? Obviously you wanted to make enough money to pay the bills, whatever, but like narcissists and we could do a whole thing about narcissists are freaking miserable. Cause it's all about them all the time. It's about their great, like freaking Trump or Elon or whoever else. It's all about them all the freaking time, whatever. And they are miserable, miserable human beings. You look in the eyes of Elon Musk, you do not see a happy man. If you know what to look for, right? Dude, hold on. This, this blows my mind and we've got to talk more about this because I did not know that. No one's ever, no one's ever worded that to me, but holy crap, does it make sense? So, um, recently, not too recently, but some time ago, I was going through a super, super tough time and I was not happy with many things. And I was finding myself very easily getting into the place where you could say, Oh, poor me. Right. And all these issues. This yeah. Holy crap! This is amazing. And you know what I did? And this is completely innate. I did not have a book to follow. Did not learn this anywhere. I decided that the way I would conquer the current feelings of that time, the doubt, the fear, by putting value into the world, and pouring so much value into the world, and helping so many people that I would not care about my problems anymore. That was, it was the weirdest conclusion I came to. I have never done it in the past 20 plus years. I've been an entrepreneur. It was a new thing. Did it work? Hell yes. I love every minute of it. Um, and out of that came some of the current programs that I'm running today that I love to death. And I want to read, I want to just speak this to people because I feel like, oh, holy, this was powerful. Worry about other people more than yourself is the secret to happiness, as you said. Hey, you mentioned this is like, so this is out there. Like there are studies that have proven this. I, I've certainly read it other places over the years, but I'll, you know, and again, you can go back to evolution about pro-social behavior and altruism and all that other kind of stuff. But the fact is, I mean, it also makes sense too, because like, if you're thinking about other people, most of the time, you don't have time in your head to just seep in your bullshit, right? Like you don't have time for that, like constant negative talk and that, that freaking voice in your head that's telling you you suck all the time and all that other kind of stuff. Like to this day, you know, I have a lot of really, I, I am so lucky because I am very open and vulnerable in my own life. And I teach people about emotion and writing copy in that way and whatever. But the great thing about that is I get to have really deep, amazing conversations with people all the time that nobody knows about. Like there's people you and I know where I've had incredible heart to hearts and things like that and talked about stuff going on in their lives that they would never tell the most people. And they, that, the wonderful thing about that is because I'm so open about my own stuff, I get to be part of that and I get to help people, right? Like I get to help people by being open about people come to me all the time. And they say, you're so vulnerable. I'm like, I'm just not scared. Nobody. It's also like people will say sometimes, Chris, oh, you're just out there about all your stuff. I'm like, well, nobody can really hurt me. I don't have a boss. I don't work for like some, you know, big, you know, corporation where they're going to get be like, oh, you put that thing out on the internet and we're mad at you. So I think it's almost a responsibility as somebody who deals with significant mental health issues and who has had some success to go out there and just be like, hey, man, you can do it. Let me help as many people as I can. Yeah. And, and um, you know, the other thing that was coming to my mind is um, I'm forgetting the exact name of the book, but I've always had an inner struggle with this book, which is the uh, 47 Laws of Power, 48, yeah, 47. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that book would poo-poo on everything we're doing in this episode right now because it's an expression of weakness and you don't show weakness. And I remember reading I remember this book. Reading except this book. it's not though. It's not weakness. Like vulnerability is not weakness. Vulnerability is strength. I've, well, I've given speeches about it. As, as would be stated by the book. Um, well, absolutely. Um, but I think it's so um, wrong headed. Right? I agree. 
Well, so so for me, for me, it's a dumb way of doing for it. me, the strength. Well, for me, I made a I made a decision very early on in my career, which was dealing with one of me is hard enough. Creating two of me was even harder. So I wasn't going to have this public persona about me and the way I come off, and then personally be a certain way. I would prefer to just be that way on both sides and whatever. We'll say, having known you for a while, you are you uh, you treat. Every, I, I take great pride in being told that I treat everybody the same. And I, I, when I'm seeing you, you treat everybody the same. I have never seen you treat anybody uh, differently based on how much money they make or what they could do for you. And I'm, that's, that's, a thing I, that's a thing I look for in people. Yeah, I appreciate that. So, But I'm just saying that book, one, one of the struggles I had when I read the book, I, I, I remember reading the book and I was fascinated. And I was like, I don't have to agree with it to be fascinated by it. I was like, this yeah. is interesting yeah. stuff. Yeah. From a yeah. historical analysis standpoint. Yeah, it's interesting. But... Um, but I remember thinking, well, God, I do a lot of things that would violate the rules of this book. I don't really feel like I want to change any of them. The one irony, and I was like, I always wanted to like interview the author and be like, hey, all the examples of the kings and queens and, you know, the royalties that you use in the book as an example of people who maintained their power, most all of them got like assassinated, <laughs> killed, or like miserably dismembered, and they were miserable. And so I'm like, I, I always wanted to like, that's never been questioned or addressed about the book. But for me being vulnerable, you're 100% right. I strip my competition from the ability to attack me when I'm like, yeah, thanks. I already talked about that publicly, right? So it's, um, it's like in politics, I always had, a, I always, for a while, had this desire to go into politics. It is long gone. So I am not touching that you know, area. Yeah. Holy crap. No. Um, but I remember thinking as a, as a young person, I was like, Hey, if I ever run for politics, the first thing I would do on the first day of my campaign will be like, here is all my dirt. Here's all my bad stuff. This is all the stuff I've done. That's going to come up in my opposition research. And I'm just letting you know ahead of time from my mouth. And I'll talk about each of these things to kick off my campaign. And I was like, God, there's something to just then you can be you, right? Because all the crap is out there about you. And, you can just, and you're not scared of anything. You're not scared of anything. Scared of anything. Yeah. It's like, yeah. I, I, I call that the, uh, have you seen 8 Mile, the movie with by Eminem? Eminem's movie, 8 Mile? I have, yeah, a long time ago. And at the, at the end of it, he basically goes up and he, he does all the disses to himself the other guy was going to do to him. It's like, I am short. I am white. I do this, blah, blah. And it just completely disarms the guy. He's like, well, how do you go after somebody who just went out there and said all that stuff about themselves? And there is a real, there's a lot of power in being open and honest about yourself. You don't have to remember any lies. That's for sure. Like that George Santos guy who just got into Congress by lying about everything in his life, you know? Well, so now... You're actually noticing, especially with the younger generations. Now let's talk a little marketing and copy. I mean, you're noticing the younger generations are so much more driven by the personality rather than the brand. And so that they're craving that connection. And the problem is if you put this per perfect persona, you're actually not relevant. You're not connecting with them. So it's actually almost hurting you if you're not being real because the real detectors are on like crazy right now and everyone wants to know the real, right? So, so when people want to buy from people, right? Like people, somebody was asking me about emotion and B2B copy the other day and they were like, because I do, I'm, that's what I'm big on is stories, emotion and whatnot. That's what I teach uh, when I teach. And I was like, listen, man, uh, the people, businesses don't buy anything. People who are in businesses buy things, right? Like it's still, yeah, it's always a human thing. It's also, that's why I talk about like the AI thing, which is the hot button these days. I'm like, well, cool. But it's going to take a long time to find an AI that can write like me, right? Or that can write with the emotion and the grammatical atrocity and the energy and the like the emotion and the stories that go into it. It's going to take a really long time for AI to be able to do anything like that. And which is why I'm not personally scared of AI is because I'm able to do that stuff. And that's what I can. But you only get there by having emotions and being in touch with your emotions, which computers can't do because they don't have any. Yep. Well, so on the AI side, I've been playing with it a lot more since I was a guest on your podcast. And my takeaway is as follows from a content creation, operational writing I'm blown away. Um, you know, my nephew was visiting me and he had a homework assignment. And because I, I was watching this interview, so I watch All In podcasts and anyone who doesn't, you really should. Um, they kept talking about how chat GPT and AI would change Google, would threaten Google. I was like, I do not get this. What What are you talking about? Like, it's a this is a writing tool. Well, I, I, I watched my, so I introduced chat GPT to my 11 year old nephew, which I was specifically told not to by his parents, but I was like, whatever. So I introduced him to it he had a homework assignment. And in my head, I was like, dude, let's use this thing. Right. Like, um, 
And then I, I might regret that. I, I will be open to the idea of regretting that decision later. But um, he he wanted to engage with chat GPT on his own. He wanted to do stuff. And I was like, this will be fascinating. Let's step back and watch how he uses it. He used it as a search engine. And I was like, at that moment, I was like, oh, I get why this is a threat to Google. He literally t went, who invented Sony? Um, you know, because he's a big PS5 fan. Uh, what characters are in this video game? Who did this? And then I started, we had a homework assignment. His homework assignment was to do a whole report on Maryland, the state. So what is the square miles, right? So if I go to Google, I type in how big is Maryland, I have to like click, click, and then get into a page and find it. Here, I was just like, how many square miles is Maryland? Pop, the answer. And I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> questions is getting wrong though like i was i've been watching some stuff and somebody asked it somebody posted by asking it uh does paul mccartney read music right and paul mccartney does not read music paul mccartney has talked poke openly about not rereading music and not really knowing music theory that deeply many times but the chat gbt said Paul McCartney has written some of the greatest songs of all time and his songs follow musical theory very strongly. Of course, Paul McCartney reads music, et cetera. And it was wrong, right? So I think yeah. it's it, I think it's gonna be an issue with people kind of getting too, relying on it too wow. much. Also, there's one guy who put out some software recently that can tell if something was written by ChatGPT or not. And it's based yeah. on- I saw that. It used. Turgidity, saw that it was basically something about the the variability in the language, the chaos in the language, right? That is yeah. not easy for the computer to ever kind of um, reproduce. So, so get this, the new debate around, and I love how we went from mental health to talking about AI. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, there's a there's a whole new debate about how there's going to be lawsuit galore because chat gpt or open ai the company that owns it has gone out and indexed all this information from all these people it's violated their copyright their intellectual property and when it spins it back out it doesn't give any of those sourcing and it literally makes it yeah so it makes it so that that person won't get the visit won't get the revenue potential and that will all now go towards chat gpt so there's a there's a big lawsuit potentially coming down the pipe. It's going to be fascinating. We're, we're going through a very interesting time, um, which I'm actually really excited to live through because I get to see the future being unfolded in front of my eyes. And, um, and I don't know where it goes and I don't have an opinion on it except for that. I'll say it again. I'm fascinated. I'm just watching it. Watching well, it's it. similar um, with the AI art thing, right? People are putting that all, all out. But a lot of those images are based off of somebody else's work. Actually, all of them are based off other people's work that's been indexed on Google and indexed other places. And then it's recombined. And it's like, well, as a creative person, yeah, that's horrible. But what, what do we do about it? I'm not really sure. I'm not sure either. Yeah, exactly. So, so Chris, um, you know, there is, uh, you, you've gone through this, this, this wave. Now you're kind of on the other side of it. You're in maintenance mode. Like you said, you still sometimes have, you know, some have some something issues. Else will happen. Yeah. You know, something else will come. As it always does. And, um, how, how in the madness of all of this, right? So you go through a divorce, which was kind of the tipping point to your mental collapse. But then in that time you found your wife. So like, even when you were in your worst, you found who's now ended up saving your life. I, I'm, 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 I am really intrigued by how you navigate, even in your worst of times, so many things, your business, relationships, like, and I just feel like there's something that you, there's something you do that probably people need to hear because people in their best cannot, I mean, I got people that have it all together that cannot manage a business and a relationship and you here are at your worst and finding a way to do it. Yeah. I mean, part of it is delegation. Um, I, you know, I've talked, you, you and I talked about how Mike, who's been running my business largely for me for the last nine years has decided to move on, but he was very responsible for keeping the doors on and keeping the wheels on the business while I was too mentally checked out to be able to do so. And I think he did a good job kind of keeping things going, even though we weren't able to tangentially, I do think about how rich I would be if I hadn't gotten sick sometimes. And I'm like, damn, man, I'd be retired by now. Like I would have just kept going for a while and then done whatever. But I think it's just, um, I don't think I know everything. I don't think I'm the best person for everything. I know, you know, this is the funny thing, the, the thing too. I am very, very, very good at writing copy. I am very good at understanding people psychologically. I am very good at this kind of thing. And I suck at pretty much everything else, right? 
And I know that, like, I know that. Then that's what keeps my ego in check personally. Cause I'm like, yeah, I'm good at this thing, but I suck at literally everything else. And I don't expect myself to be good at everything else. And I was forced when I was so sick with Lyme disease to delegate, to learn how to get other people to kind of do things and only folk, I could only work two hours a day for years, right? And so those two hours had to be focused on what was actually gonna make us money as opposed to whatever else. And otherwise I'm just a stubborn person. I'm just an incredibly, stubborn person. I will keep going forward no matter what. If you put a wall in front of me, I will walk through the goddamn wall. And I think that's a large part of what's kind of kept things going. I'm not saying that's the best way to be, by the way. I know that that attitude has cost me a lot over the years. I completely agree. I'm the same way, man. I don't, I don't know. Uh, I don't know how to not be that way. Actually, to me, if you stop that in me, you're going to create 10 times the anxiety and problems. Like you got to let me just be that. That's me at my calmest is when I am refusing to stop. I mean, my stories people know from being in the ICU where I was lying flat. I was so bad I couldn't even sit up, meaning my heart would go to 180 beats per minute if I just sat up. I was losing three pints to four pints of blood a day. I was getting that much replacement every day. I lost muscle, couldn't walk. My legs went kind of like limp. And and then I went to a surgery that they said 50-50. May, may wake up, may not. Like it was a pretty rough surgery. But during that time, the biggest issue that the nurses had with me is that I kept getting phones snuck into the ICU so I could work. And back then, that was before iPhones. We had Blackberries. And they literally... I would, I would, they would confiscate my phone and I'd call my employee and he'd go buy a new one. And, 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 and I just kept doing that to the point where I negotiated with the nurses and said, all right, I'll stop. You give me three hours a day on the nurse's station. Cause they had a computer in the room. That was so awesome. It could like pivot and it could be like perfectly in front of me. And I'm like, let me have three hours on that computer every day to do my own stuff. And I won't bring in phones. And I remember when I was leaving the hospital, so obviously I survived and was leaving the hospital. One of the older nurses came to me. And she was like, the day I'm leaving, she came to me right before I'm leaving. And she's like, I just, I just need you to know something. I've been a nurse for, I don't remember how many, it was like a long time, 30 plus years. She was like, as you leave this hospital, know one thing. We did not save you. The nurses did not save you. The doctors did not save you. The surgeons did not save you. Nobody in this hospital saved you. You should be dead. And I was like, well, that's great. And she's like, no, what I'm trying to tell you is you saved you. She's like, I have never seen someone with the ability to laugh and play pranks on their nurses when they literally cannot even sit up. I have never seen a person who will fight with the nurses till their last breath because they want to work when they're being asked yeah. to just rest. And I told, I remember thinking about that was a very defining moment in my life, but I was like, you know what? It's part of who I am. And I'm not saying everyone needs to be that way. And I agree with you, Chris. It's actually sometimes a curse more than it is a, a power because you can drive yourself insane doing it too. But to, yeah, but to some level though, Chris, like, isn't, if you want big success, if you have a huge ambition to some level, the discipline of just moving forward, isn't it necessary? I think so. I think that the only reason I'm successful is because I just kept going for like, I'm not an ambitious person particularly. Right. Like I, like we, we, you, I interviewed you on my show and we talked about how you were kind of getting into business really early. And it was a thing that you was kind of in you. That's not really me. I just kind of, I'm a writer who stumbled into business and, and did pretty well with it. And I think what made me successful is just like, Hey, this thing is working. Let's keep freaking doing this thing. Let's keep going forward. Let's just keep doing a little bit every day. And because of my variety of illnesses and such, every day has been really, really hard. And I just learned every day is going to be really hard. That's okay. Keep going anyway. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's amazing stuff. I mean, so for everyone who's listening, I think my biggest takeaway from this episode was just to make you feel like it's okay. Um, you know, you wake up those mornings and you're a little depressed, like, and you think there's something wrong. Um, no, I'd be grateful it's not worse because for some people it can get worse. Kind of a part of parcel of being the entrepreneur. Um, you go through, you know, you eat. Uh, so um, someone on my team, my uh, my chief business officer here, Joe, he has a term that I love. I, I just use it all the time now. It's, he's like, let's just eat the shit sandwich. He'll say, right? And I'm like, yeah, as an entrepreneur, or even as someone who's high up in a company, you get served shit sandwiches as part of why you're compensated, what you're compensated. Um and that's a part of life. And for all the people out there that tell you otherwise, they're lying. It's it's genuinely a part of being an entrepreneur. Just to really put a point on that, Anik, like everyone on Facebook and on and, and social media is is kind of full of shit. 
right? Like to some degree, like I'm not, cause I very purposely don't do put things out there that I don't believe. I don't think you do particularly either, but all these people that are putting things out, showing off their sports, most people who put, put pictures of sports cars on Facebook don't own the damn car. They just don't, right? Guys like Ty Lopez who are putting out those videos of his giant mansion in, in California, he doesn't own that house and never did, right? Yeah. Like all sorts of stuff like that. So when you wake up in the morning and you're looking at social media and you're feeling bad about yourself and you're like, oh, this person's raising $80 million in crypto, whatever. Well, I know that guy and I know what actually happened behind the scenes and it wasn't what you think it was, right? And this other guy's like sold his company for whatever. Well, he's also like, maybe he sold it, but not for as much as he's talking about. And even the people that are not lying about their wealth are actually pretty miserable behind the scenes with all the other stuff in their life because they spent so much of their effort on getting money that they don't have relationships with their family or their friends or anything like that. You're doing great, right? This is the thing people need to understand. If you even wake up in the morning, if, you, and if you're dealing with depression and you get out of bed and you do anything, you're doing great. Actually, here's the thing that I try to do with people in general. This is really hard and you're doing a good job, right? Like this is something I go out of my way to tell friends of mine and people I know. And if you go out of your way to like sincerely say to somebody, you know, this is really hard and you're doing a good job, people will sometimes just break down crying, right? Because yeah. we need to hear that. And we all think that we, I mean, God, when I was in the, my, the worst of my bipolar stuff, I thought I was such a loser and I wasn't doing hard, I was doing enough and I should be doing this and I should be this person and I should be at the very top of this business again and blah, blah, all that other kind of stuff. But I survived that shit, right? Like I got through those years and that's a pretty damn good job anyway, because a lot of alternate universe versions of me are dead right now. And same thing with anybody who's listening, like you got challenges, life is hard. And don't be like, oh, that person's life is harder than mine. Cause yeah, it's good to keep context on things like I don't live in Ukraine and I'm not being attacked by Russia right now, but still your stuff is real. My stuff is real. Onyx stuff is real. Nobody's suffering is worse than anybody else's. It's just a matter of keeping perspective on things. Wow. I love it. You're hundred percent right. This is really hard and you're doing a good job. I love that. Yeah. I love that line. I was uh, talking to my aunt a few weeks ago and, uh, she got it. She kind of got into, uh, that mode, right? The life lesson mode. And, uh, one of the things she said was so simplistic. And I walked away thinking like, damn, it's true. She was just like, look, every day I wake up in the morning and I tell myself I'll do my best. And at the end of the day, when I go to sleep, I say, regardless of what people feel or how people feel or what happened today, I did my best and I go to sleep and I'm like, yeah, I'm like, you know, cause that's all we can do. We could do our best. Like you're going to come up with ideas. You're going to do campaigns. You're going to hire people. You're going to fire people. You're going to live through life and you're going to fight for your dreams. You're going to chase your dreams. You're going to try to do good. In the end, I think the only thing you have actual control over is do your best because even in that you're going to make mistakes, but you're going to make, you know, wrong decisions. But did, was that the best decision at the time with what the value, with what information you had? I don't, you know, I, 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 I work with a lot of people and I think you'll agree, Chris. I don't think there's many people that go out there and try, actively try to mess up. Like, you know, they wake up and they're like, I'm going to screw things up. There's self-sabotage for sure, right? Like we know people who like, I mean, we've all seen people who make a lot of money and then they, they regress to the mean of their income like two years later, right? Because they just can't yeah. handle that kind of thing and they self-sabotage it. But yeah, most people, most people are doing, this is all the thing too, is like when I talk to people about conflicts they have with friends of theirs, I'm like, listen, everybody's doing the best they can. Nobody's really trying to be a dick. Nobody's really trying, what, except for people that are sociopaths and whatever else, but we're all trying to do the best I can. We're just humans and we screw up and we're not perfect. And we lie sometimes, even though we don't really want to. And we do this and we do that and whatever. It's okay. We're all just human beings doing our best. Be, be nice, be kinder to yourself. Like you're trying really hard and you're not perfect and nobody is freaking perfect. And that's good. We would hate yeah. people who are perfect. Superman Superman would not be a well-liked person if he existed because we're like, screw you, man. You don't have any problems. <laughs> and yet and yet, when you watch the uh, or when you get into the the uh, the story of Superman, he actually does have problems. Well, he what does, do yeah. You know, right? You have, you have to create so, problems for, to be able to write those stories in the first place. Yeah. But his, uh, problems are, his problems are the people he loves, right? The only way to hurt yeah. Superman is by going off people he loves. Because 
if you worry about other people more than yourself, that's kind of like, and he's, you know, so look at that. We brought it, we brought it, brought it right back to the secret of happiness. Uh, fast, uh, just amazing, man. I, I, it was a really fun interview and I love the fact that you spoke openly about stuff that people give, give people a lot to think about. Where can people get more dose of Chris and follow yeah, you? Go to, uh, the Chris That's my podcast. As we're recording this, my episode with you comes out in a few days, actually. I don't know when this one's coming out, but uh, on this Friday, the 12th of January, January is when this one comes out. And that's the main way. Uh, also, if you go over to Facebook and look up my name, you can find my Facebook and my Facebook group where I post some stuff. Um, I'm actually just in the middle of shutting down one of my programs right now. So you're not going to be able to buy it because you're too late. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, guys, we're going to put his URL um, right below if you're on YouTube and in the show notes, if you're listening to any of the audio, the Chris Haddad show.com. Um, I, I was a guest. We had a great conversation. If he does that kind of conversation with other people, you're going to love watching his show. So make sure you check it it's out. A, it's it a, out. It is. It is. If you like what Anik and I talked about today, um, it's a similar thing. Uh, I like to go deep with people. I actually just um, shelved an episode with a friend of mine, with somebody I know, because I don't think she showed up for the episode. I wow. think that she she was way too dedicated to keeping her act on and like giving out, like doing what she does in public and uh, what, how, who she wants people to see her as. And I'm like, that's not what we do on my show. So I actually deleted the episode. Good for you. All right. Awesome. Well, there you have it, everybody. Give us, do us a favor. Okay. Make sure you click subscribe. If you're not subscribed yet, leave us a comment below, click like thumbs up, tell everybody about this. I will say this is an episode worth sharing. Do some good because trust me, a lot of people need to hear the things we talked about. So share it with an entrepreneur, you know, that you feel could use hearing it. All right. All right. With that well, said, going said, through it, man. Yeah. yeah. With that said, Chris, thank you so much. And to the rest of you, what do I always say? When life pushes you, stand straight, smile, push it the heck back. Love you guys. See you on the next episode. Bye.